Hello, everybody. It is once again time to sing the praises of Fangoria. This classic magazine has been at it for over 40 years, and it is better than ever. This highly collectible publication comes right to your door four times a year, and each issue of Fangoria is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking, past, present, and future, with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way. This high-quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, so if you want to join in on the fun, you'll need to subscribe. In order to do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and, well, sign up. And since KingCast listeners are in the family, you can enter in the promo code KingCast at checkout to save a whopping 25% off your order. Now with all of that said, on with the show. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Red rum! Red rum! Sir! I'm gonna go see a dead body. Well, sometimes, that is better. Hello, and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. This week's guest is a KingCast first-timer, and they're bringing us a first-timer title to the KingCast. So that's, you know, that's that's both barrels, Vespi. I know, it's, it's a twofer. I like calling those a twofer. Very exciting shit. So it's a special occasion here today at the show, and uh, as, as for our guest, you may know her work from a slew of excellent horror shorts that she did for uh, Crypt TV back in the day. 2019 Satanic Panic, or her fantastic entry in Hulu and Blumhouse's Into the Dark Anthology series, which was titled All That We Destroy. Today, she's here to talk to us about a King novel, which, as I mentioned before, has never had its own episode on the KingCast before. We're very excited about it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Ms. Chelsea Stardust. Chelsea, how are you doing today? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. Uh, We heard through the grapevine that you wanted to be on the show, uh, which is always exciting for us (laughs) to hear. We get we get those from time to time. And it's like, yes, you know, if someone (laughs) if someone wants in, uh, chances are they're getting in unless, you know, they're a complete pile of trash. (laughs) I was I was I was like keeping an eye out as like, okay, is anyone has anyone done Joyland yet? Has anyone done Joyland? I was just keeping an eye out as to like if it was going to pop up. And I was like, okay. I just got to jump in there before anyone else does. <laughs> well, it's yep. interesting since the show is, is so much like structured usually around a book in their adaptation. It seems like a lot of these books that haven't been adapted often get kind of thrown into the back of the line. Yeah. Um, and I and don't also- know if that's for just because people know the movies more and they're going off of the movies more and we get less of the like actual readers on the show. I don't know if that's the case or if it's just that's what's at the forefront of people's minds when they think about coming on the show and we've just kind of painted ourselves into a corner by establishing that we talk about (laughs) adaptations a lot to be fair to be fair to ourselves like i mean i'm still pitching in terms of hey we want this person on the show and they can talk about any stephen king adaptation they want you know that was that was sort of the original pitch and over time we've sort of uh you know relaxed the leash on that a bit yeah in terms of the format so now i'm saying that plus or the unadapted Stephen King novel or short story of their choice. But people still 
still tend to 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 pick the movie stuff. Right. Well, and it's when we're like blindly reaching out to people, you don't automatically always know that if they're a Stephen King reader or not, but everybody right. that we're reaching out to, we know are, are movie fans of some sort. So then we know that that's the end. So like, I just yeah, sent exactly. off a, a pitch to a, a very well-known uh, comedian. Uh, and I have no idea if this person reads Stephen King at all, but you know, in that <laughs> pitch, it's just like, I know this dude watches movies. So, <laughs> so uh, you, know, you gotta know yeah surely you got something to say about fucking pet cemetery or something right something. you know give, <laughs> give me what, an hour yeah. of your time i think yeah. that's why if, if uh the the eagle eyed uh or eagle eared listeners will see like some of the biggest names that we've gotten on the show like jamie lee curtis for instance yeah you know they tend to pick shawshank redemption the shining or uh stand by me right because mm-hmm. those those are the the big or the running top tier adaptation yeah, the Running Man's strangely like one of the most in demand. I never would have pegged that like going into this podcast. We got to keep him away with a stick on that one. Yeah, for, <laughs> just, for every Running Man episode stop. we've had, we've turned down like three of them. You know, or we've punted three of them or booted yeah, them down. That's the road. crazy. It's crazy. That's very true, uh, Chelsea. There are two things I want to talk to you about up front. Uh, number one, while uh, researching you for your mm-hmm. appearance on this show, I discovered that you were Jason Blum's executive assistant for a period. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. That is correct. <laughs> so what's that guy like? Yeah. Um, so uh, before my time as a director, um, when I got to direct full time, which is such a, a, a privileged and luxurious thing to say, um, I was an assistant. So I was an assistant for a good 10 years um, here in Los Angeles where I'm based. And um, I started out in comedy. So I started out working for the late, great Ivan Reitman. Um, Rest in was- peace. Rest in peace. Uh, and then I went from working for Ivan to working for Judd Apatow. So old school comedy, literally, to new school comedy. Um, and then my heart has always been in horror. And Judd was like, I don't know anything about horror movies. Good luck to you. Um, and I just happened to have a friend who's also an assistant. And she said, hey, there's this guy named Jason Blum who's looking for an assistant. And I said, who is Jason Blum? I've never heard of this person. And I looked him up and he had credits that it was basically like the reader and tooth fairy and paranormal activity. And I was like, Oh wow. I like paranormal activity. So I met up with him and we actually bonded over Hitchcock because I have a Hitchcock tattoo and um, he's a big Hitchcock fan. And, you know, I said, I live and breathe the genre. I would love to come you know, work, work with you, work for you. And, uh, he's like, great, come to this movie. I'm screening at Sony. I want to hear your thoughts on it. And, uh, sort of like as a test, I was like, okay, great. And I go to this teeny little theater and, uh, it's myself and a girlfriend of mine and Rob Zombie. Uh, the three of us <laughs> watching a movie. And the that movie was started. unexpected. That yeah, was the yeah. last name I expected you to say right then. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck is Rob Zombie doing on here? I was like, this is cool. Uh, and I was a little starstruck, but I kept, you know, I kept it in check. And the movie was Insidious. So he wanted to hear my notes and thoughts on Insidious. And I said, I, you know, I think this movie is awesome. I think it's going to really kind of shake things up a little bit. And, um, I knew James Wan already. Um, and so I was like, I think this is going to be great. It's like, okay, you're hired. (laughs) And I started working for him. What if you came in there and were just like, man, like we've all seen Poltergeist, man. I know. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I talked about that. I was like, yeah, it's yeah. like a modern day poltergeist. And I think that was right. before the poltergeist remake had come out. And so I said, that's what this feels like. Um, he's like, great, you're hired. So I started in the top of 2011. Um, and Insidious came out that April. And Rob Zombie was there because they made Lords of Salem, which I'm in. And you know, got to be a part of that. So anyways, I was there for four years from 2011 till... Wait, hold up. You're in Lords of Salem? I am in Lords of Salem. <laughs> that is, first of all, that's Zombie's best movie. It my, is, my 100%. Secondly, where are you in Lords of Salem? So um, I actually, I wanted to be one of the uh, witch, one of the, the naked witches, <laughs> but... <laughs> don't we all? Don't we all, right? But that... Um, it was a uh, quote unquote conflict of interest. Basically, they're like, we can't have you do that role when you work for the company for like legal purposes. And I was like, I get it. You want to protect yourselves. It's totally fine. So I said, what? So then Rob said to me, he's like, listen, you can still be in the movie. I'm doing a montage of people listening to the song. And I said, great. And so it was just, it's just me. And I'm in like, you would, I look so different. I have brown hair and I'm in a sweater that's white and brown striped. And I'm just listening to a song and looking at a radio, like that was it. And, but Rob directed me and we got along really well. And um, I got to be on set for a good part of that movie, but I am, it's a sort of blink and you miss it, but I am in it. And uh, it was really fun to, to be a part of that. And, and I was there four years. So I think I were, I think I was like a part of like 20 movies or 25, a lot. Wow. And, I, and basically and I Lord. left. At the rise of it or the rise of the Blum as well. Yeah. Him yeah. kind of taking over the, or his company taking over the, the horror verse for, for a minute. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I would call and say, Hey, I have Jason Blum for so-and-so. And they're like, who? And by the end of my time there, they're like, Oh yeah. One second. Let me get my boss. Like I watched it grow <laughs> into this studio right that it is today. And um, then I got to make, like Jason wanted me to stay longer. He's like, listen, do you want to be a creative? Cause I was a, I was a very good assistant. I'm super type A, really organized. Um, and he said, do you want to be an executive here? And I said, I, I don't, I want to direct. Like he knew when I started yeah. that that's all I wanted to do. And I <clears throat> got to observe all their directors and now I have mentors that are Lee Winnell and Chris Landon and Adam Robitaille, like I'm very lucky. Um, and I said, no, listen, I, I need to go off and direct. And But you know who would be a great executive for this company <laughs> is my friend Ryan Turek. And mm. he said, oh, yeah, but would Ryan ever leave shock till you drop? And I was like, let me find out. <laughs> <laughs> to make Halloween movies or to write about them on the internet? Hmm. Right. Yeah, and so it's a tough I, call. I literally call up Ryan. I was like, hey. So Jason's looking for a new an executive to come in. It's not going to be me because I want to direct. What do you think? Would you want to do it? He's like, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> he interviewed and he came in at the top of 2015 and I left like December of 2014. So we just missed each other. But that mm. was my, my parting gift was giving Blumhouse Ryan and giving Ryan his dream job. And then I ended up and Ryan championed all that we destroy. And I made my got to make my first movie with Blumhouse, oh. which very rarely does a company see if you were an assistant for a company, very rarely do you do they see you as anything right. but that. And they did. And they're like, you know, even though Jason kept calling me for like a year after to be like, can you please come back and work for me? Can you please come back? Can you please come back? <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm gonna so I was making shorts for Crypt TV and doing all these other things. 
uh, assisting more directors in TV and commercials and <clears throat> right. I shadowed Adam Robitel. So I, I kept, you know, I had, you can't make money off of short films. So I had to keep doing that. And then finally, Ryan's like, I'm going to champion this for you. And, and they said, yeah, let's make it. And it's going to be the first into the dark um, for Mother's Day, which is perfect for <laughs> all that we destroy because it's such mm -hmm. a, it's my baby. It was written for me to direct and um, it's my homage to Psycho and we need to talk about Kevin and there's a lot of Black Mirror in there. And, you know, so it's, um, uh, and but Ryan helped make that happen. And, you know, they're, they, they kind of helped take me to the next step in my life, in my career. And so, and that was very cool, but yes. So long-winded answer to your question. Um, <laughs> I got along really well with Jason and he was nice. someone who would say, Hey, what did you watch this weekend? How are you? Like a lot of bosses don't ask you how you are, um, or care. And so he was very much invested in that. And I was like, Hey, I saw this movie called, you know, honeymoon by Lee Janik. Or I was like, I would tell him about movies I saw and directors I love. And so just kind of, you know, I was always watching stuff and, you know, ex you know, saying these are people to look out for. And he always was like, okay, great, great noted gonna, or take a, I'm going to take a meeting with this person or that person. Um, and, uh, but yeah, he, he very much, um, it was very fam. Like when I was there it was a very family type, um, atmosphere there. And it was small and then it just got, it got bigger and bigger. And then he was about to have kids and this and that. And I was like, okay, I, I think it's time. It was becoming more corporate. So it's like, it's time for me to go. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm forever thankful for that experience and, right. um, and, and, and working there. So, uh, but yeah, that's the long-winded answer to your question of my experience <laughs> at Blumhouse Productions. <laughs> very nice. well, very well. Yeah. And we would and like he, to get uh, Jason on the show at some point. He, uh, we asked him for. We had a whole run on Halloween Kills. Um, oh yeah, and uh, and we we asked if he would be interested in coming on the show. And uh, uh, and I guess the scheduling didn't work out. But he's got like three different Stephen King things he's adapting now or producing. So it's well, uh, this is this is yeah. kind of why I asked because I heard, and this is not a judgment call on Jason Blum. I I love Blumhouse and the work that they're doing. He seems like uh, uh, a good dude to me. Uh, and and you're reinforcing that by what you're saying. But what I heard through the grapevine was that maybe Jason Blum wouldn't make the most electrifying podcast guest. Oh, interesting. Um, I don't, I realize we Does don't he really have, like, but he has like like I have no sense of the guy's personality. It, it's tricky. He's like very active on Twitter and Instagram and 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 things like that. But in terms of like, if you see him in like a public public appearances or appearance he doesn't really do a lot of that i'm trying to think if i saw him on like if he, i think he's a guest on the amc history of horror i may be wrong yeah. though but i feel mm -hmm. like i may be like something like that but i don't see him on podcasts a lot you know he he's very uh, much like yeah. i'm producing i'm not directing it's about like these yeah, directors that's sort of the focus you know it's not I've interviewed him before. Not, I've interviewed him before, and and right, he's, right, he was a good. You know, I mean, obviously it was for print, but you know, he, he was it was he held a good conversation. He was also very flattering. I remember that. Not to make this yeah. whole you know first twenty minutes of the show about <laughs> Jason Blum uh, being awesome, but I remember, uh, I don't remember what I interviewed him for. It must have been like one of the later paranormals or something around the mid 2015, 2016 ish, because it was right after Ryan came on board. And we were talking about 
something about like how horror works. And and I made the comment of like, well, that's why all the best horror movies and the horror stories are all character driven. Because if you give a shit about the character, then automatically whatever scary situation they're in is amplified. Then it's more scary because you, you care about these people getting in and out. And that's the difference between like a Friday the 13th, where you're just there watching to get watching people, you know, get, hacked and slashed versus something like you know the conjuring or something where you actually are invested mm-hmm, in characters mm-hmm. and he like i remember he turned to somebody in the room going going he's like and he's like look at this guy he's like you know no you should he's like you should come work for me and he laughed and i'm like yeah that'd be funny and then i'm like well wait a minute he actually did just hire ryan turk he's like is this my shot, is this my shot? was he serious this is my end he, he wasn't serious listener he was not serious well we'll we'll get him on the show at some point we'll find out firsthand i want to i want to find out what kind of what kind of dude this is. I, I'd love to have a chat with him. But um, yeah, in the interest he... of moving along, uh, there is one other thing I wanted to talk to you about mm. was that yeah. uh, y- you and I share, uh, you, you, I and Eric share uh, mm. uh, a friendship with a very, very close friend of mine, which is uh, Mallory O'Mara, uh, mm-hmm. who is the co-host of our uh, burgeoning spinoff series to the, to the Kingcast, uh, Shelbyville. <laughs> she had nothing but nice things to say about you. I just want to say that, but I also want to warn you that your friend is a little bit of a terrorist. She (laughs) she recently (sighs) sent it's hard for me to say this publicly, but she sent me and Eric and also our other Shelbyville host, uh, Jacob Hall, uh, (laughs) canned bread from the Northeast. Very upsetting stuff. Very upsetting. (laughs) I had to eat this. I'm not happy about it. Um, <laughs> really repulsive. And uh, I don't know that I can ever forgive that and move forward <laughs> with our with our uh, friendship. <laughs> I'm just wondering uh, if, if she has terrorized you in any way. Uh, that's amazing. You know, she has not. Um, mm-hmm. uh, she terrorized coming. me with love and friendship. Mm. Um, sure. <laughs> Well, that's how she but hooks I'm you in. Keep an eye out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I fell for that too. And then the beating started. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a reason why she can like deadlift like 200 pounds, and she's uh, mm-hmm. uh she's building her her uh, body as long <laughs> along with her mind, uh, all for nefarious means, such as uh, forcing her quote unquote friends to eat canned carbs. <laughs> I don't canned like it. bread with raisins. No, with less. raisins. Ooh, with she raisins. said raisins like as a default. Yikes. Fucking really How upsetting do you do stuff. Uh, yes. I also want to mention that friend of the show, uh, AJ Bowen, has nothing uh, but nice things Aww. to say about you as well. He, he very much enjoyed working with you. So I love them so much. Oh, my heart. It's made my heart happy on Valentine's Day when we're recording. So this what day. I'm saying is that all, all your circle of friends are somehow <laughs> overlapping with our circle of friends. I love it. And so it was it was fated for you to come on and talk Joyland with us. Yes. I'm very excited for, for us to jump into that. Before yes. we get there, though, let's let's talk about your Stephen King origin story. When did oh, he yeah. first uh, come onto yeah. your your radar as a pop culture presence? Yeah, that's a that's a great uh, great great question that I was. Uh, I've never asked to. it before. Be, yeah, on this show. yeah. I think you should start. I think it's a really good way to. It start could be that. our hook. It could be our like our Marin, <laughs> who are your guys, basically. Yeah, um, and I I actually love to 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 talk about this. Um, so I you know, I was trying to pinpoint, um, when I was, when I was 
coming on this podcast, I was trying to pinpoint the moment I like was aware of, of Stephen King, whether it was from both my parents are big cinephiles. So whether it was from Mm -hmm. movies, but I'm not, I was trying to figure out if the movie or books came first. So, um, when I was in high school, I read Carrie, um, and I wanted to possess the powers of Carrie because I had a really, uh, I had a rough, rough, like grade school, uh, middle school, high school, like bullied terribly, like all of that, uh, all of those things. And so I really connected with Carrie, but then I was watching, I watched the movie Carrie, which I fell in love with. Um, and the, uh, the original, I should preface because I forget that there's another one, um, the original <laughs> film by De Palma, and but also watched The Shining and Misery and Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile. Like just those were all kind of, I'm, I'm a baby of the 80s, but a child of the 90s. So those yes. were all coming out, you know, uh, then. So I, I want to say uh, it was, I read Carrie first and then was seeing the movies and of course Stand By Me and things like that. So, but- then Carrie was the only thing I had read uh, of King. And then I, you know, went, continued finishing high school and went to college and came out to LA and became an assistant. And I, I kind of like lost, I was still watching all the movies that came out. Um, but I kind of lost track of, this sounds crazy, but of reading books uh, because I was reading so many scripts. Like as an assistant, you right. take a huge stack of scripts yeah. home with you you know, every weekend and, and reading becomes a chore. It becomes a job and a chore and it's scripts and 80% of them are not good. And so it was very, very exhausting. And, um, so I talked to a very close friend of mine named Jessica. She, she's a huge King fan. And I said, listen, I, you know, by the time I was at Blumhouse, I was like, you know, I, I think I, I I wasn't reading as many scripts. I told Jason, I was like, listen, I'm not going to read a ton of scripts. I'm not going to do coverage. We have interns that can do that. I'm just going to schedule your meetings and, you know, handle all the other business. So I so I freed my brain up for that, freed, freed up the space. And I said, I went to my friend Jess and I said, listen, I know you live and breathe Stephen King. What should I read? I want to get into it. I want to get back into King. What do you suggest? And her suggestion, she says, all right desperation (laughs) of all the books she says desperation and i was like okay and then she said after you do that go go to the regulators and and you'll see why i said okay so i read desperation and i and i uh to be honest i because again hadn't read anything else and i was like this book is amazing like i love (laughs) it i was like this is awesome it's I a very know. easy to read book. I'll, I'll give is. you that. It's it's yeah. a long book, but it's like King just kind of almost on cruise control with what he's good at. So so 100%. I totally get it. If you've been away for a minute and you you go back into that, you kind of get reminded why you like reading his stuff. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I'm 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 into this. And then another friend suggested uh, after after I read those, I, he said, you know, I really love. I just started asking friends who I knew loved King, and um he suggested Joyland and I read it and it kind of changed my life. I know that's very dramatic, but um, Mm. all of a sudden I was like, I'm obsessed. I want to read more. And then I slowly had friends kind of coming to me saying like, Hey, do you want to start a book club (laughs) to read like uh, friends in the, in the horror industry? So in the, in the genre, genre lovers. And so I said, yeah, I'll start a, uh, let's start a horror themed book club. And it, and we're called uh, the losers book club. 
Um, and we have shirts and <laughs> all, all the things. It's only 13 members, but um, we read. And it can't be any more or less. It can't be any more or less. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and so we read uh, Stephen King every other month. And then in the months in between, we read, you know, it's a grab bag of stuff. So we started the Losers Book Club in October of 2017. Um, and some of the members are like Axel Carolyn and Bria Grant and Josh Miller and Michael Verratti. There's like, you know, a, a slew of us. Um, and our Two of those have was- also been on the podcast. So we're exactly. still working our way through your book club now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and the first book we actually read was not a Stephen King book, but was a Joe Hill book. And is mm. one of my favorite books of all time, which is uh, Heart Shaped Box, which yeah, I, I love desperately would love to make. Yeah. Um, loved it. It's, I don't really get scared from movies anymore, but books scare the shit out of me. Like I can't read at night because I will have nightmares. Um, and that movie that, excuse me, that book gave me nightmares and I had to read it during the day. Um, and, and we've also had like, we've read almost all of Grady Hendrix's books and he comes on and like, he'll join our meetings. Mallory O'Mara has joined our meetings because we read, um, Lady from the Black Lagoon. Mm -hmm. So we just started, um, we just very we just started reading as much you know horror as we could and we meet every month and of course we've done like the stand and it and misery and from a view of gate we've done a, a lot we're a lot there's still a lot to go um but it's been wonderful and to be able to now i'm like i'm a little dyslexic so i've become a faster reader and it's helped my dyslexia and it's just like it's it's and king has just uh you know, they're, they're great books to discuss and, um, it just brings me such joy. So, uh, hence, uh, Joyland. And we did read it again as a book club and I've read it multiple times. Um, so that's my origin story. Now I like am forever worshiping at the altar, part of the cult of, (laughs) and here I am today. And you're, and again, your podcast, like, I love it so, so much. And it's just so like, I was listening to Grady's episode because he did from a Buick eight, which was a very controversial one at book club because mm-hmm. we read mm-hmm. it in <laughs> yeah. June or July of 2020. So to read a book about cops then was, was uh, <laughs> pretty intense. Um, but uh, yeah, That's they're nice. They just sit around the movie and look yet. at a car mm-hmm. in the garage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Possibly go wrong. Yeah. Right. Um, That's also I, why you haven't seen the adaptation yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no studio is bankrolling a, Hooray for cops. Right. right and now. I love Jim Mickle and think he could do something with it. But, oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to see him do it. Yeah. But. So anyways, that is what... Um, so now the, my love is even stronger now um, than it was. And and uh, yeah. So and that brings me to here today. Very love well. Love it. Well, Excellent. And it's something that I'd like to point out in... Uh, you know, Joyland, and I'm really glad you picked this title for many reasons, but just on a personal level, I'm in the midst of rereading two giant Stephen King books. And by giant, I mean lengthy. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of both 11, 22, 63 and insomnia at the Whoa. moment. And, and I've had to like pause one to jump into the other. And it, it was such a breath of fresh air when uh, Wampler was like, okay, we have Chelsea coming on doing Joyland. And I'm just like, thank God. Cause that's one of those like just quick reads. <laughs> like, I, can, I can put a pin in, in both of those giant, like just live in that world forever, uh, you know, books and, and do this quick. It's like <laughs> barely, it, it's, it's a great like length because it's more than a novella, but not like what I 
picture is like a king book. So it's like longer than a novella, but shorter than some, something like Pet Cemetery, which is like an average size book. So it's this great, like kind of middle ground story that that is complete. It, it, it's what all, almost all of his hard case crime stuff is. I guess all of it, because later felt the same way yeah, uh, totally. recently, where it's just these great, like very contained character focused uh, stories. And Joyland in particular was one I remember being uh, one that I read kind of in that era where I wasn't always dependent. Every new Stephen King release wasn't a dependable like banger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And like he was still kind of finding his feet in that like period, you know, that decade after his accident and, uh, um, you know, finding his feet as an author. And then he, uh, not saying everything was trash. He wrote some f- amazing things and there it was like Joyland and revival came out around mm-hmm. the same time. And it like essentially signaled to me, it's like, Holy shit, this guy is having a new Renaissance, right? This guy is at the top of his game again. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, yes, I'm very excited to, to dive into this one with you. Yes. I had such an emotional response to the book, um, that at the end I was like, completely in tears. And, and my partner, Shawnee looked at me, he's like, are you okay? And I was like, any of this book, I just, I wasn't ready. I don't know why I wasn't ready. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, there were so many things which we'll, which we'll get into that. I find this book to be, um, there's, there's, it's, it's youthful and it's romantic, but it's also haunting and it's heartfelt. And it's like, it just checks like so many boxes that I, and I also feel that it's, um, good, uh, it's like if someone were to ask me, like they they wanted to get into Stephen King, this is one I would recommend because I think it's good gateway King as well. Mm. And I think it's very accessible to many different ages because again, the protagonist is a college student. So it's just, you know, someone who's younger and um, I just think it's a really good gateway drug King um, because it is very accessible. And, um, and it I is would sort agree of a, with that. Yeah. you know, there's the, a, which we'll get into, but there's a character who has a little bit of the shine. So it's like t- getting you into, a, could start dipping a toe into the shining world and <laughs> yep. his bigger universe. But anyways, so that's well, like one of the things I love about it. Um, for for anyone who has not read Joyland, would you be willing to do the honors and and walk us through um, the plot of this thing? You know, you don't got to go beat by beat by beat, but you know, yeah, the broad uh, the, strokes. The broad strokes, yeah. Um, so. Uh, Joyland is about um, a college student named Devin Jones who takes a summer job at the Joyland Amusement Park in um, uh, Heavens Bay, North Carolina. And it's in 1973. Um, and he uh, takes these, the role of, uh, he's, he wears the fur, which means he's like uh, one of the, the mascot of the park. So um, H- Howie. The resident H- furry. Howie, the resident furry, Howie the Happy yeah. Hound. Um, and it's about sort of the, uh, the amusement park, um, carnival, carny culture, uh, how they speak to one another. And then also he meets, of course, all the employees of the park and there's other kids that come from colleges to work there as well. So it's a summer job. So it's supposed to be short term. Um, and there's also a mystery. A, A young girl was killed. Um, Linda Gray, a young woman was killed at the park. Um, many years ago. And so there's this mystery of like, only the employees see her ghost, but nobody really, no one knows who killed her. It was never solved. Um, And so it's also like, okay, are we going to see her ghost? So there's this sort Mm -hmm. of mystery taking it the backseat and then Devin's experience at the park. And he he saves 
a little girl from choking and he's and becomes like a favorite of the owner of the park um and then about halfway through the book so that's like the first half of the book mm-hmm. and about halfway through um he meets a uh, a woman named Annie and her son Mike Ross who um he meets them after labor day so like the park is closed up everyone's going home so the book all of a sudden kind of takes a turn so he's still working at the park but you know is it's not like as busy as it usually is um at all and it's closing up and they kind of know they're like hey like we know these bigger parks like six flags or and things like that are probably gonna there's this this park will not last long this is it's 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 about it's on the it's on the outs it's this this is no longer sustainable so he meets this woman and her son um who is in a wheelchair and he uh sort of takes the kid under his wing and falls in love with the 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 kid's mom annie and he takes them to Joyland um, when it's closed, so it's just them, and it's just this really uh, that that part I love. It's a sort of really beautiful um, right. moment at the park. But um, yeah, think of it like a Make a Wish thing, or this exactly. is a dying right, kid, right, and, and right. this is one of the last things that <clears throat> that uh, you know he wants to do. And and there's also the uh, apologies for interrupting, but like yeah, I no. also love this dynamic that they put in there where the mom is very cold. Annie is very oh, yeah. cold and, and she's building up walls knowing she's going to lose the only thing she cares about. And that's her son. That's and her son. so she's cold to Devin at the beginning. And she's very adamant that her boy isn't going to go to this theme park, which he wants and not, she uses a health reasons or re- excuses, yeah. but in reality it's because she knows that by doing that and acknowledging it, you know, she's acknowledging that her son's going to die. Maybe if she puts off, you know, doing this thing that he really wants to do and is looking forward to doing, you know, maybe then he won't leave her. And it's like this really beautiful and sad and melancholy thing, which leads to that feeling being here where this, you know, boy who you've kind of grown to love as a reader is, uh, you know, just having the best day of his life and, and all that. But that melancholy is, is hanging over it all knowing that, you know, this is his last hurrah, which it's, it's just exceptionally beautiful writing. I think it's, it is, I think it's some of his best writing and it's sort of that, that nothing is forever. And this, you know, how quickly, how little events can shape your entire life. And, um, and, and so the way this, this part connects with earlier in the book is Mike, um, the, the little boy in it, sees Linda Gray's ghost. He sees her and he helps is sort of the reason that Devin is able to solve the mystery of who killed her. Um, And again, if you have not read the book, you should pause and go read it because I'm going to spoil it for you. Um, (laughs) You find out that it's actually someone who's still in a, uh, one of the ride operators who still works at the park who killed Linda Gray and it's sort of revealed. So so her ghost is able to rest because they know who did it. And there's a big showdown at the end on the Ferris wheel on the spin, the Carolina spin. Uh-huh. Um, and Annie actually comes to the rescue because she's a crack shot and, uh, and is able to sort of save Devin from this very like epic ending on this huge set piece. He, he and then, you know, Devin says he, he's got to, he decides he has to go back to school. He has to finish school. He says goodbye to, to Annie and Mike. And, um, uh, is at school like that spring, so spring of 74, and finds out that he gets a call that Mike has passed away. Um, and he and he goes back to Heaven's Bay and they 
send Mike's ashes up in a kite and spread the rest around the the, the beach where right. they met. And because the kid, he's you know, when he was flying a kite, he said, or when he's excuse me on the on the at Joyland on this Carolina spin, he's like, I'm flying, and so they knew that that's. He wanted to let him go free and to fly. It's very, it's right. very, the ending is very emotional. Um, it's very emotional. It's beautiful. It also ties in the first time Devin meets them. They're on yes. the beach trying to get a mm-hmm. kite in the, air in the air and having trouble with it. So that's how he essentially befriends this family is he helps yes. them fly the kite. So it's a very cyclical kind of closure, you know, moment to all the setups and payoffs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So one thing that I, I really love about this, this story and that, you know, hit me even harder the second time I, I read through it you know, leading up to this uh, recording was that you, you think the easy thing for Stephen King to do here would to make it be all about the ghost and the, uh, the dark ride It's the horror ride in the park. So it's whatever the Joyland version of the haunted mansion is, is where this woman <laughs> was killed. And it's this really amazing description, by the way, it's like where there's photos and stuff and, and witness testimony of the guy and this girl this kind of, uh, getting on the ride and only the guy comes off and they find her body like in the this dark tunnel part and so he killed her in the ride and left her body yeah. there and 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 but he left her body there and it's a horror ride so people just thought it was decoration like when they saw it for you know for like hours after or whatever it's a really yeah. you know insidious thing and as somebody who loves the haunted mansion as much as i do and loves dark (laughs) rides uh you know i was really psyched about this but what's amazing that king doesn't do here is he doesn't make that one the focus um the ghost story the focus and two he devin never sees the ghost never sees it it. right he never sees it he it is he it is not his story where he is haunted by this crazy thing that just wants closure whatever there's none of that is there it is it is really it's more creepy because he has a friend that sees it and they go on the ride together and uh, one of the three people sees it and it terrifies him and disturbs him so much that he won't set foot in Joyland again. And and like hearing him describe it and d- d- reading the description of of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, how this guy looks and how shaken he is and and all that. It's so much more effective than if this was like a, a stir of echo situation where. You know, the right. main guy was just haunted by a ghost and has to figure out how to, you know, put her to rest or whatever. Yeah, Do y'all think if you saw a ghost on a dark ride in an amusement park, it would fuck you up like that? Or do you think you would keep going back to investigate? It would mm. depend on if I knew it was a ghost. Like, that's what's so, like... If, well, if, let's like, imagine... If I knew, it, yeah, well, I, I'd go okay. back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, like whatever you see with your eyes, there's no doubt in your mind that it's a ghost. Whatever that looks oh, like to you, right? Yeah. I wouldn't be back. scared off the park forever. I, I don't think I'd ever stop going back. I've seen some weird shit in my life, but I have never seen an actual ghost, right? Uh, I'm I'm not entirely convinced ghosts are real. Uh, in fact, they're probably not. But <laughs> I would love to see one. You know, it would make it, it to me, it would make life so much fucking cooler if, you know, you might see a ghost one day. Like right. what, a, what, a, what a scratch ticket for life that is, you know, right? like, you know, you might never see a ghost for like 40 years, but then one day you're going to see a ghost like that. Would, that's fucking rad as shit, dude. Mm-hmm. I want in on that. Well, it's also it, it plays into that whole you know uh, Kubrick King Shining phone conversation, late night phone conversation where yeah where Kubrick mm-hmm. views uh, the Shining as a an optimistic tale because if there are ghosts that means there's an afterlife and things mm-hmm. don't just end you right. know it if if I see a ghost because I'm I'm an agnostic guy like I don't 
I don't know if I'm hardcore atheist. You know, do I believe that there's no God? I don't know. I, I, my, I I'm an I don't know guy. But you know, listening to uh, maybe like the the Flanagan uh, monologue in Midnight Mass about you know oh. what happens after you die and and all that stuff. That's kind of where you know my spirituality is. Like we're we exist in this moment in time, and you know maybe there's this brilliant you know thing that your mind does that makes you know the end of your life kind of this timeless you know thing this feeling but like i don't necessarily believe in a heaven but if i saw if i saw ghosts like legit holy shit spirit of of a of a once living person suddenly that changes the the metric doesn't it right so i don't know if it changes them for the better though because like if i if if i see a ghost and the ghost let's say i see a ghost at six flags right right (laughs) i'm gonna be like fuck dude you died like you died <laughs> and now you haunt a six flags like <laughs> this amusement park at the end of a pier you know i would be kind of like i don't know that that's a, i don't want to do that for an afterlife <laughs> how long is this going on for you know that well, sounds like it, limbo to me and that right scares the shit right. out of me. i would rather <laughs> go to hell than limbo at least there's activities in hell. <laughs> sit, sit in the DMV <laughs> for the. Yeah, oh for my like god! <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what's so like. That's what's so interesting about the um, about Linda Gray is that it's sort of like only certain like 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 we were saying. It's like Devin and the character Aaron and the character Tom. Like they go into it, but 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 Tom's the only one who sees her. So it's sort of like being again like thinking about like having the shine from the shining. Like only certain people are open to it for whatever reason are able to see her but there's this the mystery around it is that her death is like never solved and yes there's like there's a picture of the person even but because he has glasses and a hat and gloves on and all these things you can't really figure out and it's also a newspaper from you know decades before so Mm -hmm. the quality is not that good but the idea that because mike was able to like there because the mystery is solved then she's no longer at, then they say she's, then she's gone. She's like able to rest and because her death is solved and it's sort of like, oh, well that's like, if someone's death doesn't get solved. Yeah. They, they're just, they're just hanging out. Yeah, they're exactly. They're the place until for, like forever, basically. And yeah. like, it, what if you didn't bring the dying kid to the amusement park? <laughs> and you're just she would have been stuck in there. for stuck. eternity, dude. Well, stuck there. <laughs> but or maybe she's like me and she's just a huge fan of dark rides and she's just hanging around there. <laughs> I, I could think of worse fates than, you know, getting to live in the haunted mansion, you know, or, or be undead in the haunted mansion. To be fair, this is not the haunted mansion. <laughs> that's, this is that's true. It sounds fucking radder than the haunted mansion, though. They describe like a, a guy like getting guillotined or something and oh, the yeah. head rolls rolls towards the people in the cart and it, with eyes bulging and shit. It's like uh, you haven't sounds been like. Good. Carney rides like that before. I've seen like a hundred of those. Mm-hmm. Like something. I don't like know. It, it's fun. Becomes. It's like a little diorama, and then the fucking shunk the thing goes down, and then the head rolls. <laughs> or like you know, uh-huh. there's. Have you ever been to the the Sal- the the witch museum in Salem? Yeah. Now that, that would be a bummer. Extremely to... racist. I, I understand <laughs> yes. they they had to switch some shit out in there <laughs> since the last time I was there, but that's like. That's the kind of shit I'm imagining, like for this dark yeah. ride is like it goes right. and it shows you a little tableau and, you know, it's like settlers and they're they're burning the Native Americans or something. And it's like, oh, they're creating a Native American burial ground. And it's so it's got like this uneasy sort of feeling to it. But also it's like it's all done with like mannequins and 
That's not better than the Haunted Mansion, <laughs> is my point. Which has a fucking descending elevator that takes yeah. you to hell with stretching yeah. portraits in it and holograms yeah. and all that kind of shit. I mean, yeah. come on, dude. That's true. It doesn't not as technically sophisticated, but more hardcore is what I was saying. So Okay, word, word. Yeah. I You're not gonna give, you that. don't need to convince me. The Haunted Mansion's like the coolest place in the world, so <laughs> That's true. I don't know why I know why I'm arguing this point to you of all people. Yeah, I got a I got a hat box ghost sitting right over my right shoulder as I'm recording this. So mm. I, I love me my haunted mansion. Um, but speaking of one thing that I really do love about Joyland is is getting King to focus on an, uh, a a little like a rundown amusement park, which is kind of yeah. played in like he's touched on it a little bit. Like, isn't the talisman? Isn't there like an that's where yeah. like Speedy Parker Arcadia works? Park. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like he's he's touched on these kind of like northeast uh peer based amusement parks before. Peer based amusement <laughs> parks. Um you know, like the Santa Monica Piers got one, you know, right. the, yeah. the West Coast and you know, th- these kind of little little guys. Um I get you, it's just that peer based amusement parks has like an <laughs> ominous ring to it somehow. <laughs> there's a reason why it's been worked into our Shelbyville uh, RPG podcast (laughs) because it's a good it's a good little little uh, indicator of of a a Stephen Kingy thing but what I love about it is it's and this goes back to um, Chelsea's uh, opening here it's Hitchcockian in a way Mm -hmm. Um, you know especially that finale on the Ferris wheel you know that's for um, sure that's what was that shadow of a doubt is that the one that that Mm -hmm. ends on the on the um, the carousel it's uh you know there's it, it's a really interesting uh combination of elements and did you guys know that uh, Alfred Hitchcock at one point was going to make a uh a amusement park thriller Oh no. yes I think I did know I think I did know that but I, I mean he's like not like, just an amusement park he was going to shoot it at Disneyland oh, What? Was going, yes, yeah yes, that's right that's right. Yeah, and it's one of the most fascinating things. It was going to be a, a James Stewart kind of wrong man movie where there's a murder that happens at Disneyland and uh, they like lock it down and they think uh, Jimmy Stewart's the one who did it and he has to like go around the park of avoiding the police and also trying to solve the murder. Uh, and then, uh, the, and how amazing, and like this was pitched like in the, right after Disneyland opened. So this would have been like late 50s, um, mid to late 50s. And uh it was something that apparently Hitchcock was very hot on and wanted to do and then talked to, to Disney and Disney's like, oh, fuck, no, you're not. Go- we're not going to have a murder at, at Disneyland. You're not going to shoot this in my park. And that killed and that <laughs> killed the, the project. But how amazing would it be? This is like Stephen King getting to, to do that, uh, that Hitchcock movie almost. If I'm not mistaken, Disney saying we're not going to have any dead bodies at Disneyland is uh, quite the leap <laughs> given that they've. <laughs> having their rides beheaded more people than fucking King Charles at this point. Uh, yep. The space mountain. Space mountain. Uh, there's been drownings on log rides at Disney. Yeah. Imagine, uh, although, go- imagine the- going out in a log flume. Woo! Fuck <laughs> me, dude. It, yeah, no, it, those are horrible to read. Cause those are ones like you read about and somebody like stood up too early and then gets knocked backwards into the water. But then the, they, uh, the, the next log ride goes over them and Ooh. they can't uh, get up. And so they, they drown in like two feet of water. Fuck, it's really dis- disturbing, happens. but they also yeah. have something I think at Disney where like nobody's ever technically died, even like heart attacks and stuff on Disney property. Cause they have the, the medical examiner declare, uh, death outside the park. Whoa. What? Yeah, because they don't they don't want to have anybody. So even if somebody's decapitated, you know, like the there's a famous one where a dude um, 
uh, or I think it was a lady, a guy who was having a heart attack on a space mountain or something. And the lady stood up uh, trying to get the attention, like forced herself up and like got, got her head ripped off on the ride. But even like declared, they declared death at the, at the end of the park. Yeah. There was someone having a heart attack. <laughs> Yeah, in and, the car. like her husband. Yeah, and then at the same time, the lady stood up and got her head ripped off. Yeah, she. The husband was had a heart attack. At least the, the was the, the urban, husband the, the okay. I don't know how if the husband survived or not, but <laughs> the people. but the oh, I, oh my gosh. That and again, seems this like is a lot. Maybe maybe the, this isn't exactly how it happened, but this is how all the Disney nerds talk about this this incident. So. So uh, yeah, she she's trying to get attention and waving and trying to get them to stop the ride and and so she like forced herself up a little bit and if you've ever ridden Space Mountain um, or if you've ever ridden it with the lights on which is rare but uh, they it happens those yeah. clearances are small like you can feel the wind of the of the risers that you're going under if you have your hands up in the air during Space Mountain <laughs> so yeah it's uh, I buy it I buy it. You know what that sound means, folks. It's time for the mid-roll ad read. Once again, sponsored by our good friends over at Athletic Greens. We use Athletic Green products literally every day here at KitCast HQ. I started taking Athletic Greens because, quite frankly, I needed it. Lots of people take some kind of, you know, multivitamin, and it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients. This functions much the same way, and it doesn't taste like it's super healthy either. In fact, it has a kind of a mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to each morning. So what is it? With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, aging, all of the things. It even supports mental clarity and alertness, which is certainly something I need while recording this show. Also, it's recommended by pro athletes, not just podcast hosts, if you were worried about that. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's cheaper than purchasing all the separate ingredients yourself and all for less than $3 a day. One scoop and a cup of water every time. Boom, you're done. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash kingcast. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash kingcast to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I think it's time to get back to the conversation. What do you think? Indeed. Let's do it. It does read very Hitchcockian, especially with the huge set piece ending that he's known, you know, as notorious in his movies. Um, Yeah. So that's, and that's, you know, an, again, another reason I love this. And it's also um, earlier when you were saying that uh, about the focus isn't on the goat, isn't on Linda, Linda Gray. Uh-huh. It is King, you know, practicing restraint, which I don't think he always does. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> um, so, and I, and it's just the, the path, the story goes, it's because he practices that restraint. I think that's also what makes this um, such a great story. And it's, and it's him being romantic and like, but very much on the forefront. Like that's like, so um, 
at the at the head of this story as well. And I, yeah. I it's very it's very tender. It's, it's uh, yeah. a little heartbreaking when the when his um the girlfriend that he has and he eventually gets a letter that's just like, "Hey, I'm out." You Wendy, Wendy off. Keegan, fucking yeah. Wendy, ruthless, <laughs> fucking Wendy. ruthless. Um, I think we've all gotten that letter from time to time. Uh, uh, heartbreaking. Uh, well, I maybe I'm speaking for myself, but <laughs> I have definitely gotten that letter before. <laughs> it's like the worst fucking feeling, and and the book really captures that teenage. Yeah angsty sort of you know this is the most important person i will ever love sort of <laughs> like feel to it um right. yeah i love that about it and that feeling of of you know young love like that that first love you the the, the person that's sort of your first real that when you feel that first real true love and then yeah. when that and, and again, when it goes away, it feels like the entire world. It's like, I'm never going to love someone like that again. It's never going to gonna happen. Right. But because of that, because she break, it's like her breaking up with him is what lines up all of these things that right. change his life. And so really, um, she's a saint. Right. That's right. Saint Wendy. Saint Wendy. <laughs> um, and <laughs> if that wouldn't have happened, like that, just to, to look at the sort of trajectory of it. Um, and I think like in terms of setting that this is at an, an amusement park, I, I grew up going to uh, a, f- a fair, the, the oldest fair in Ohio, um, which is the Great Jaga County Fair. Um, it's about to celebrate. It's like 200th year or something like that. Um, and oh, so I, is it in good condition? It is. That's what's, that's like, I go, really? I just, yeah. <laughs> people come from all over to go to it. It's Labor Day weekend um, every year. And I would go, you know, since as long as I can remember, uh, I would go to the, and I just have such nostalgia for that. For And all like fairs, carnivals, dark, you know, anytime I see a dark ride at a fair, I'm like, yes, I have to go. So I have a lot of nostalgia for that. You know, some of the rides are real janky, so I don't get on them. But uh, <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to fly off of this ride. I was like, I'm. this is going to oh, be yeah. the end of me. And I'm like, then I'm going to have to haunt the place. But uh <laughs> I just, I think that's another reason why I connected so much with this is because I was like, oh my gosh, when I was in high school and when I was in college, like when I would be home, I would go to, I would go to the fair and also the the lifestyle, the carny lifestyle, it's like fascinates me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think is like, again, another reason why like just the setting itself becomes such a character. Yeah. Right. Carny culture, very compelling yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I love Inherently you know, spooky. And weird. Yeah. yeah. And I they're love just, something they're just like, up um, to something. I like that they're always <laughs> up to something. Yeah. Right. Right. And they're and, fleecing a motherfucker uh, on the boardwalk or they're, you know, they're, they're like covering up a, a, yeah. a beheading on the tilt a whirl or, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of overalls involved. Like I, I'm, I'm into, I'm into that whole thing. It's partially why I love nightmare alley so much. All that hot, carney talk in yeah yeah the talk yeah and that works that's a big part of the joyland too is is kind of going in and diving into the the regional yeah carney language and stuff so there's like a almost a a little tolkien aspect of this where he's creating his own language you know about you know the the rubes and the rabbits and the Mm -hmm. all that shit you know yeah yeah what is the what is the most memorable experience y'all have ever had at at an amusement park Ooh, uh, that's, I'm, I'm good, bad, ugly. Doesn't matter. 
Yeah, that's... I presume I mean, you've my, never seen a ghost. <laughs> unfortunately, I have not. Um, uh, well, I guess something sort of like, this is more... I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of Disney's Something Wicked This Way Comes. So I'm always mm-hmm. like, okay, I need... Oh, I want, it's I so have to good. Ride, it's so fucking good. And I have to ride the merry-go-round like every fair. That's what, one of the things mm-hmm. I ride. And I was like, if this goes backwards, I'm le- like, I'm leaping off. Um, but, Why do okay, we go? You know what? Maybe just, I'll let it go backwards for like five or six or seven rotations, and then I'll get off. Um, <laughs> we get a new fucking Robin Hood movie every twenty minutes. How is there not like a something wicked this way comes for every generation? Mm. Right? There should be. Yeah, I would love it's that. It's so fucking good. Let me Flanagan let me get my that. hands on that. Yes, mm-hmm. or oh my Chelsea. God, I will- yeah, but I would. Hey, sign me up for Flanagan's version, um, please. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, like that's so in his fucking wheelhouse. If he yes. hasn't already got the fucking rights, I'll be surprised. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm actually. I think I think I just need to start like a campaign in making this happen. Now, now I'm like fired <laughs> up. Um, I would say like so. My my personally, it's been it's very like nostalgic. It's it's you know going to the I've had you know, made out with people at the fair and like, like taking a boyfriend <laughs> there and going, you know, um, having the four H four H kids making milkshakes from the cows that they're milking, like right next door, like all that stuff. <laughs> Wait, but does it, that taste different? It tastes fucking delicious. <laughs> Is it just thicker? Like what's yeah. the, oh, yeah. I've never had it from the teat. It's, a, <laughs> it's delicious. I, I think there's like, uh, probably reasons you're not supposed to because of like the pasteurization. It has to get pasteurized yeah. and things like that. Yeah, so you're not really supposed to. It's fine. Yeah, got a lot of bacteria in there. <laughs> this is why I have no allergies is probably because I had all those. Um, but I, I <laughs> You were COVID like, proof. I'm pr- yeah, exactly. There was an experience I had um, at the, this is, uh, what? where was this? This was, I think the uh, LA County Fair. And you know, they, they have the, the um, sort of like, What's that? What is it called? It's like the zip line. The thing it goes from one end of the fair to the other, and you're up in the air, and you're on the little chair. It's like a ski lift. You're on the yeah. ski lift across the fair. My partner Sean, he uh, is not, you know, has isn't afraid of heights. But we did that, and I was like, we got to go on this, and he started having a panic attack because mm. literally there is a a thin bar holding you in, mm-hmm. and you could just tumble out. Yep. And because he started having a, it started making me nervous. And then my palms got really sweaty. And it just, how and high just, up are you, dude? Oh, really high. Like you would die if you fell. Like you would, or uh-huh. break every bone in your body. You're really high up. And he was getting really, he's like, I never get nervous like this. But this is, now he's scared of heights because of that. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> I never should have taken him on this because I was like, oh, we can make out and all this stuff. No. Um, it sounds like I do a lot of making out. But, um, <laughs> We. I was just going to suggest that you can make out on the ground floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the thing is, those rides also don't stop. Like you have to time your getting on it and getting off of yep. it. It, it. You just better be quick. And so he's like, "What if this falls? What if it breaks?" It was like, you get, you, yeah, because the thing would cut the legs out from under you. Yes, <laughs> like, like, and it's only on like one little hook is around the wheel that's going along. So basically, uh-huh. we started like Final Destination. It's like in our heads what was going to happen. Um, so that was a pretty. And every time we go, I'm like, "Can we? Are you okay to go on that?" And he's like, "I can't. You go. I'm gonna stay here." I was like, "Okay." Um, but it's like, and then sometimes they get stuck and stop so then you're just hanging mm-hmm. up there like yep. if, if, if again someone can't get on it get off it or they have to stop it 
And that happened. And um, he's like, we're, we're, I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall uh, or drop my phone. I was like, well, don't touch your phone. Don't touch anything. Just hold on to the bar. <laughs> but anyways, that was something where I will never forget that uh, now he's afraid of, now he's like nervous about heights because <laughs> I took him on that stupid <laughs> thing. Like, why you traumatized I him. I did. Yeah. Ruined um, this man for life. I ruined him. Um, Just because you wanted to make out. Fuck, I know. Selfish. Could have done it down, <laughs> down near the the bumper cars. Yeah, really that's what I'm that carny atmosphere is like just just <laughs> got to the make out right. <laughs> the make out pheromones. Or whatever. You, you see a that guy in overalls spitting tobacco, and you're like, God, I'm <laughs> Randy. Yeah, that happens. I'm gonna suck face. someone's face right now. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, you've been to you've been to Disney parks a bazillion times, trillions, yeah. Um, yeah, I, the thing that jumped to mind when you asked that was the thing that actually made me fall in love with Haunted Mansion. And that's when I was seven or eight years old is when I went for the first time at uh, Disneyland. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was the horror kid. Like, I like scary stuff. This is probably within a couple of years of me picking up my first Stephen King book. Right. So I it, this is, I wasn't you know, a guy or a kid that was scared of, of, uh, scary things. And so I was excited about the haunted mansion. This is the scary part of, of Disney. And I remember very vividly going into the stretching portrait room and having the whole, you know, shows going on, the door closes, the lights go down the, you know, this this haunted room actually stretching, you know, all the, that narrations going on. And I was so into it. And then a guy next to me, suddenly drops to his hands and knees and calls. I was like, I, I've, I've lost a contact lens, you know, essentially nobody moved. Don't, don't move. You know, and this is, we're talking late eighties. So this contact lens probably costs like $250. Right. So, um, and I'm sure it was a hard contact lens. So my memory is he did that. And then everybody like around him, including me kind of got on our hands and knees and we're like feeling around on the carpet feeling for this uh, contact lens and that's right when the lights completely go out and it's like the the narration the narration goes um, you know you may notice there's no windows and no doors, you know, how find a way out. And then he goes, there's always my way. And when that happens, the whole room goes pitch black. And then above you, um, uh, you see a skeleton hanging and you hear a scream. And then you hear the sound of the skeleton bones hitting the ground as the lights go out. And my memory of that moment is being there on my hands and knees in amongst all these strange people looking up, seeing the hanging skeleton. And I fucking lost my mind. Like I went and like, I was crying. I, you know, I don't know if I peed my pants, but I probably did. Like I was so terrible. I was the scaredest I've ever been in my life in that moment. And that's what made me love that ride so much. It traumatized me. So that's probably my, uh, my big theme park memory there. (laughs) That's That's amazing. What about you, Scott? You have a theme park yeah. story to tell involve either crying or making out with somebody. <laughs> no, but I can answer this. It's going to derail the show for like five <laughs> minutes if I answer this. But when I was like 15, my my parents announced that uh, we were going to L.A. for like family vacation that summer and that I could bring a friend with me if if I wanted. We were going to spend a, a day at Disney. So I invited a friend of mine named Mike. We immediately cooked up the idea to take acid at Disneyland with my parents, (laughs) which was a bad idea, it turned out. 
Um, but just we didn't clear, know. Your parents like, weren't taking acid. Just you. No, and my parents were not. Ta- like they were <laughs> to be. To, they were to be left unaware of right. this. So, uh, mom and dad, if you're listening to this, uh, turn this one off now. Um, <laughs> but we we got, we got our hands on like a double dip ten strip of acid, which is uh, essentially twenty hits of acid uh, on blotter, and then on the way into the park, we split it in half and just ate it. And at this point in our yeah. lives, again, we're like 15, you know, so we haven't really I think I think both of us had maybe done acid like once or twice up to that point, but like a small amount and didn't really it was it was youthful confidence like, oh, yeah, we're going to have a great day. And so we didn't think too much of it. And so we ate this. We, we oh, just yeah. cut it in half and ate it on the tram ride from the car to the fucking <laughs> park. Right. So we went on uh, Thunder Mountain. Going mm-hmm. on uh, Splash Mountain. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, then we got to Haunted Mansion. And by this point, like, you know, two hours had passed and it wasn't kicking in. And we were kind of like, this guy sold us bunk acid and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but as we're standing in line for uh, the Haunted Mansion, there was a guy standing in front of us in line and he had his hand on one of those like, you know, they have they have at Disney World and it's like or Disneyland or whatever. And it's like a, a post with like mm-hmm. a little brass ball on top. And then there's yeah. velvet ropes in between. Yeah, it. The stanchion. Oh, yeah. 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 A stanchion. Thank you, Eric. And so the guy's hand is on top of that. And I'm looking at his hand while talking to my friend and his fingers go whoop, and like went like really long and then short again. And I was like, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and uh, he was like, what's going on? And I said. I think I just saw that guy's fingers get really long. And he was like, no, you didn't like this shit is bunk. We both know it's bunk. It would have kicked in by now. Blah, blah, blah. You know, then we got into that first room and the room started stretching Mm -hmm. and it was undeniable. Like it hit us both at the exact same time, like full force, like a bucket of water in the face, you know, and it's just like, oh my God. So we went on the haunted mansion like three or four times in a row is my memory of it. Then we went to Thunder Mountain. And then by that point in the day, it was like, well, we've got to meet up with my parents to check in (laughs) in like 90 minutes. And at this point, we are losing our fucking minds. I saw a woman turn into a rat in the line to Snake Mountain. I saw, like, we, we were seeing all kinds of shit. Like, we were fucking done for, right? So, we have... About 90 minutes to do one more ride (laughs) and get back to wherever my parents were, you know, wherever the meeting place was. And we have to be cool by then. You know, we got to be chilled out. Mm -hmm. So we decided to go on star tours. (laughs) This will be be very simple. It's just a thing. You sit in it. You look at you go through an asteroid field or whatever and blow up the Death Star. Fine. Like we can Mm -hmm. do this. And so we get in line. We've like calmed ourselves down. We're not like laughing hysterically. Uh, But the thing about Disney is that it brings in fans from all over the world. Yes. You know, you'll Mm -hmm. you'll experience tourists from from every other country. We happen to be positioned in line at Star Tours behind an Italian family. (laughs) And the uh, paterfamilias was... I don't know how to describe this guy except to say he looked like an extremely Italian uh, llama. 
and he was wearing a <laughs> big floppy straw hat. At one point, I looked looked up and like clocked the guy standing there in front of us, and turned back around to my friend and was just like, "Oh fucking shit, dude!" And he's like, "What?" And I was like, "It's the man in the straw hat." I was like, "Don't don't look." And of course, my friend looks up and sees him and he starts laughing. I was like, "Don't fucking look at him!" <laughs> like we're trying to calm <laughs> down. Like we cannot be laughing right now. So please, let's just like calm down. But then we can't stop looking at this guy who's like so weird looking and like and this hat is just flopping around and he's got a big push bar like 80s porn star mustache (laughs) and he's talking very animatedly in a in like full volume Italian. It was the funniest fucking thing. And um, I'm getting so now I'm getting increasingly mad at the man in the straw hat because he's threatening to make us laugh. And I'm like trying to fucking hold it in (laughs) the whole time. And he starts doing this thing where all of a sudden, I have no idea what conversation they were having, but he like throws up one arm, like curling a bicep. And with the other arm, he starts pointing to the bicep and going, (laughs) muscle, 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 muscle. And I swear to you, I almost pissed my pants. Like I was, I was laughing. I've never laughed so hard in my life. And right when that was going on, they put us on the fucking ride. So we go through all that craziness and we like stumble out. And we have now like 15 minutes to meet my parents. Um, We stumble out like the backside of the fucking ride, go down the exit ramp. And we're just like, oh, my fucking God, dude, the the, the man in the straw hat and then the the, the Star Wars. And uh, we're like, we've got to fucking get it together. Please, God, don't let anything else happen. And suddenly the the exit door like, like opens. And there's the man in the straw hat. And he comes out with his wife and daughter. And he's pointing at the muscle again, going, muscle, muscle, muscle. And I was like, you motherfucker. And like started yelling at the guy because I was so mad. And they're like, they have no idea what the fuck is going on. Suddenly, <laughs> this 15-year-old in like Mickey Knox sunglasses circa 1995 is like screaming at them because the, the husband went, muscle, muscle, muscle. And um, that's about it. Then we, <laughs> then, we, then we met up with my parents and it was fucking horrible. Oh, and we barely kept it together. But uh, as long as I will live, I will never forget the man in the straw hat. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. Told you it would derail the show for like five minutes, but now it's on record. I wonder if uh, Straw Hat Man listens to the show. Can you imagine what would you lose oh your mind God. if you got an email into the the King Cast just said, Muscle, muscle, muscle. muscle. <laughs> yeah. it's like that was me, and, yes. and my wife divorced me after that. <laughs> Uh, you humiliated me in front of my own <laughs> yeah. family and daughter. Um, they had, I mean, to be fair, they had no idea why I was yelling. Um, <laughs> they just thought I was like an emotionally disturbed American, which oh, I was. They, that dude in, in his outrageous Italian accent probably tells that story of running into you. <laughs> to I'd, like his to family. So. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Yeah, I hope so. He was offended by my muscle, muscle, muscles. <laughs> But to get back to Joyland, I, I do yes. uh, I do want to get back to the carny talk a little bit. Mm. I'm yeah. uh, endlessly fascinated by this stuff. And I'm wondering, like, it sounds like maybe we all share that fascination to some degree. Yes? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Why do you think that is? What is it about carnies that are so compelling? 
Hmm. Well, I think well, like for me, it was that they were, it, it was a lot of times they're, they're sort of always traveling from town to town to, if we're speaking like just in, within America. And cause, right. cause to me, like car, the, the carnivals I've gone to, the fairs I've gone to, it's like such pure Americana and, and is sort of like, again, they've been going on for decades and decades and decades. Like this is something that's still, they've changed what they, they've transformed a little bit. But so I think there's something about a connection to a sort of bygone time and that, but it's, you know, we're, we're still experiencing it, but mm. so different. And so I think it's knowing that so the, these folks have seen like hundreds and thousands of different kinds of people and you know people who they're just coming this night to experience this and then they're going on about their lives but for the carnies this is their life and so it's yeah. like like there's a, mm. a great movie called carney that i highly recommend everyone watch With gary busey gary yeah. busey um Wait, and jody foster. Yeah, I didn't know that. jody foster yeah 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 jody foster what? and gary busey it's called carney has a great soundtrack as well mm. and um, it's about carnies yeah, yeah, absolutely. The fuck the, am the, I unaware of this? The the opening credits of that is like close ups of Gary Busey applying like clown makeup to his face. Yep. Oh, oh my yeah. god! In, in like quick cuts. It. Yeah, it, it's yeah. a good movie. Yeah, um, and Meg Foster's in it. it's from 19, 1980. Highly recommend. So, and I also saw that like very um, at a younger age, and so it's just always fascinating me. And and yes, they have their own lifestyle, their own language, like even. Like even thinking back to when I was watching something like like Todd Browning's Freaks, and again we were mm-hmm. talking about Nightmare Alley. Like I watched the original Nightmare Alley when I was in high school, and so I think there were all these things that were sort of um, and something wicked this way comes. I watched it, so I think that was kind of inf- infused in me, and I also feel like a, a kid again every time I'm there, or like what how you feel when you go to Disneyland and things right. like that. It's it's you know, we're just uh, getting older and older and older. But anytime you go to something like that, you feel like a kid again. And that sort of, I think it's a nostalgia factor for me, Um, but Mm. also the lifestyle. I'm like, you get to travel all over the United States and you're seeing so many interesting people. And I think that's, that's what's fascinating to me. And small, small, like teeny tiny towns um, versus like larger cities. Hmm. Um, So I think those are the things, and I'm someone who like loves to road trip and I like to go to the teen, this tiny bar in the town I'm passing through that is falling apart because coal mining doesn't exist anymore. You know what I mean? Like things (laughs) like that, like, you know, and also to see how much it's changed like over the years. And, hmm. you know, so that's, that is for me personally. And, and again, nostalgia factor, et cetera, et cetera. Right. There's also, there's also a distinction between a carny and like a ride operator. Right. So right. if you have something like Disney, you know, some teenager that was trained how to press the buttons is, is different from, from a carny that works at like a seasonal joint, like Joyland, yep. or as you know, Chelsea was talking about those traveling carnivals and fairs that go around. Sure. Like, th- those at are minimum, different- you've got to be traveling to be a carny. Yeah. Right. Minimum. Oh, for sure. And and I think that Chelsea is exactly right that there's something about the transitory lifestyle of this. It's like the kind of yeah. person that you're doing this and just the amazing feats that they do where overnight they will build up these giant machines and rides and facades and stands and 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 all this stuff overnight. It, you know, it it is not there one day and then the next day it is up and running. And it's it's that whole idea to me is fascinating where these 
you wouldn't trust like engineers doing that overnight. And yet we trust these guys that are, you know, got grease under their fingernails and are mm-hmm. missing teeth, you know, that's a really and, good like, point. And, yeah. and all these guys, there's, there's a mystery around them and something else that Chelsea like mentioned that I, I think she's right on about is that it's fascinating seeing those guys who under any other circumstance would be probably people you would cross to the other side of the street to avoid. And you're, they're running all these family rides and taking your tickets and making you cotton candy. You know, it's like, it's a really interesting, uh, conflict there where you, you know, because in, in for a great majority of these, you know, they're kind of creepy or scary to look at people or there's, there's an, or they're sweaty, they're grimy, you know, there's, there's all, there's a little dirty, but against the, you know, uh, the, the flashy, you know, play this dart game and win a prize, you know, there's like, there, there's an interesting, uh, uh, conflict there that, that like gives them this kind of like mysterious sheen. It, yeah, a machine mm-hmm. where yeah, it just elevates them beyond mere mortal human beings. Yeah, yeah. I think that's about right. And Chelsea, uh, something I wanted to ask you about before we wrap up here is, you know, King has written crime stuff throughout his career. Mm. In this back half of his career, I think he's he's put a bigger focus on it. I mm-hmm. think it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm curious what you think about King's crime writing versus the straight up supernatural stuff. Oh yeah. So I think, you know, the, the, for me, I think one of the things I, cause I love the, like, I love, I fucking love it. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan. I love his supernatural world. And even though this is like dipping a toe in the supernatural, I think I, I really, yeah. I've always loved the, for me personally, like, what's sort of scares me if we're talking in like a horror sense um is things sort of grounded and so like i'm someone who i guess i like home invasion scares me slashers scare me when they're not like supernatural slashers i'm talking like someone like serial killers things like that that's grounded and based in reality and i think the strangers and hush and that kind of yes totally yeah the strangers absolutely and that there's no it's like oh because you were home that's why like that's why we're there's no trying to nature versus nurture like you don't know we don't know um so i think with something like this where the the supernatural kind of, and again, supernatural that not everyone can experience similar to it. It takes many different shapes and forms, but it takes such a backseat to the story. And also it is solving, it is solving a mystery. Yes. You have Linda Gray's ghost, but still there is a mystery within this of who killed her. And I, again, love a good true crime. And again, women love true crime. So that's another thing that I connect with, but um, I think there's something, and maybe it's, harder writings i don't who knows it's all writing is difficult in general i've great i have so much respect for writers because something i can't do well yet but i think being able to do something supernatural is like okay we're gonna do this fantastical this that whereas doing something grounded in reality it's like okay how we got to make okay this has to be believable and uh it's it's a totally different trajectory so i love i love his crime novel i love the supernatural too Mm -hmm. and i think he balances that like very well but i think also what is he thinking about what he's trying to say now in this time in his life right, so right. this is you know this now this came out in 2013 so it is a newer book i mean now it's coming on 10 years old but still <laughs> it's newer king and it's like okay when you're thinking about legacy and what are you what are the stories you're trying to tell right now 
And at that sort of, he's, his, he's someone who's put on this earth to be a writer. Like that is, that is his purpose and he has the gift. And well, what do you, what do you make of the fact that at this stage in his career, he feels like these are the stories that he's, he's more drawn to. Yeah. I think that's, you know, at sort of reflecting back on his life. Cause like, and when you're looking at romantic, his romantic books to me, Christine is a romance. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like, you know, the, the love between a, boy in his car. And uh, so that's like, that's a relationship movie to me is Christine. And looking at something like that, where Christine's like really fucking dark and disturbing. And then you look at something like this, where it's sort of like, I'm not saying he's like, he's not getting softer in his old age or anything like that. Um, He's still very spry. He's doing great. Um, (laughs) But I I just think it's sort of like, I think he's reflecting a little bit. And this is a coming of age story. And yes, he has many of many coming of age story, stand by me, et cetera. But this is sort of like the story he's telling now um, mm. or, you know, 2013. And I think it's a, I think it, there's a lot of nostalgia for him, like reflecting back. It feels very personal. This story feels very personal to me. Um, and I think a lot of his like Dr. Sleep, which is also a somewhat newish novel also feels yeah. very personal. It's sort of like yeah. he's, he's thinking about, <clears throat> okay, coming towards the, you know, going to continue to write. He's, literally going to write until he like until his head hits the typewriter um and (laughs) and and so typewriter wow uh laptop whatever um but it's sort of like okay what do what do i what do i have left what stories do i have left to tell what do i want to leave my audience with and i think Mm. he's just going through it and like checking all the boxes of like what's left. It's like, what are the stories that I are really important to me that I haven't told yet? And I feel like that's something we're getting with Joyland. I don't know if like King, you know, 20 years ago would have written this story or, you know, if if we would have seen this from him then um, told in this way. And again, for me, I find this to be so this beautiful coming of age story of summertime and love and carnivals and first times and experiences and and moments in time you never forget and change you forever and help you become right. the person you are today. I think it's so romantic and beautiful and uncomplicated. This is an uncomplicated book. That's why I was saying it's such good gateway horror. And it, this is weird, but it's almost like Stephen King for the next generation. It's sort of like looking at his body of work and it's like you're always having new people come new, you hope, youngsters, kiddos come to King. Mm -hmm. And I think this is such a great, like there's so much in this that you can, anyone can relate to, even though it's like carnival, it's like, you know, being a college student, first loves, first jobs for, you know, all that stuff. And I think there's like such beauty in this, but I think he's just really reflecting on, to me, this felt like, and again, I'm still reading tons of King, but this feels like such a great sort of reflection on his life and where he was when he wrote this book. And also it seems like he's very happy when he wrote this book <laughs> yeah. so in terms yeah. of, you know, he's been through a lot. He's been through addiction and car accidents and like, you know, he's been through a lot. And to Maximum sort of, overdrive. He <laughs> maximum <laughs> overdrive. Yeah. And so this is like, I think King at almost his happiest, you know, and I love the hard case crime books and mm-hmm. yeah. So that's, you know, it's, I'm very excited. You know, obviously he's got some new stuff that's come out, even reading stuff like elevation, like reading his newer stuff. Um, mm. It's just, he's always, I love that he's always changing and transforming and, you know, it's, 
there, you always know a Stephen King book, but the fact that he's open to always doing stuff different, but still holds the flame of what is King in everything. Right. Well, and it's, it's an interesting moment because as you mentioned, this kind of came out, it's 2013 and revival came out 2014 and those revival's not a happy story. Right. <laughs> revival's uh, uh, one of his probably his most like cynical and existentially terrifying uh, books that he's ever written. And the fact that he has both of those still in him, like back to back. And then you, as you mentioned, Elevation, which is a very optimistic and happy story about people changing for the better and, you know, leaving a lot of negativity and prejudice behind and all this stuff. You know, it's it's this kind of roller coaster where you're not sure what you're going to get from him. I, I have to imagine that he's such a voracious reader and I think he loves reading crime himself, mm-hmm. crime stories. Um, that he just probably read something by one of the people he fucking loves, revisited it, or it's a new thing. And he was just like, you know what? That's a fun thing. Like the mystery box aspect of it, the not mystery box. That's the wrong word. Puzzle box aspect of it. And you see a little bit of that in Joyland where it is, where's the trick there? There is, you know, here's all the evidence, the, the, the answer is staring you in the face, but what, what is it? And, you know, and he uses the, uh, you know, the, the pictures and noticing the, the, the dye and the hair is running and the sweat. And that's the, that's the, the key or the, the fact that the tattoo is temporary and, and, you know, done specifically to throw people off the, uh, the scent. Like there's all these little mystery puzzle elements in it that I can tell that he's fascinated by, you know, I mean, the thinking of his, like the Mercedes books, the Bill Hodges trilogy, those, those seem to be a little bit more cat and mouse, like Batman and the Riddler, you know, (laughs) style, style things. They don't really have as much of that puzzle box element. Um, but you know, that is popping up from time to time. I think that, uh, you know, in the outsider and if it bleeds, that's a very puzzle boxy. Yeah. Well, um, you know, just to, to build off your point, you know, uh, the first hard crime, hard, hard case novel that he did was, um, the Colorado kid, which is pure mystery box shit, Yeah, you know, and that one doesn't have all the answers. Which was going to be my next question was, uh, how do y'all feel about Colorado Kid? I'm a I'm a big fan of that one mm. because there are uh, threads left dangling. And I find it a very cozy story. Mm. You know, these three people finishing up lunch. Uh, like, they got lobster rolls and now they're talking about this fucking cold case. That's a conversation I can absolutely imagine having with uh, other people. And it's mm. it's based on the fucking... Fuck, what is that guy's name? I don't know. There's a name for the case, but it's this guy mm. that, you know, showed up, showed up dead on a beach with like a couple of like very strange things in his pocket. And no explanation for how he died and blah, 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 blah. You know, uh, those kind of those kind of cases fascinate me. And mm. it it seems like he was really latched onto the the mystery box idea for that. Right. Uh, Joyland, I find to be. Less mystery box. When I think of mystery box, I'm thinking J.J. Abrams, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I, so I'm thinking about it in terms of how clues were like laid out on Lost and such. Oh, yeah. And, and I think Colorado Kid fits that description better than Joyland, uh, which is more of a, just a murder mystery with like a little bit of a supernatural element to it. It's almost an afterthought, but, uh, I think Eric is right about the mystery box thing. I I think it just might apply more to Colorado Kid than Joyland. 
Yeah, I I would agree, but also like like you were saying, Colorado Kid has some like the loose threads, which I think can sometimes be common occasionally with King. Whereas this is like wrapped up in a bow. We're done. Yeah. Yes. Complete, like, absolutely. We are. We are start to finish. It's that's why I think it has this very. It has a not to say that that not doing that is it's not satisfying. It is satisfying. It can still be satisfying. This is just really wrapped up in a big bow, and it's like okay, this is it, and it's his like it's his stand by me X number of decades later in a way. Cause it's, it's like another coming of age story. But I think a lot of people can be unsatisfied with like the threads kind of dangling. I don't, I'm not someone who it's not like I need it to be all wrapped up. I find it very satisfying to be all wrapped up, but you don't really need it. And also talking about stuff that is like, yes, you were saying around the, t- telling this story around the table, you know, again, grounded, feeling grounded. That's what I also find satisfying too. Um, hmm. But that's just uh, me, me personally, when ta- when talking about yeah. them. And I haven't, I actually haven't read later yet. I have it and haven't read it yet in terms of the the it's hard case shit. crime books. You'll I'm, like I'm them. Like, yeah. Oh, I really want to. Um, I think it's kind of it's next on my next on my list, and I'm I just sitting there taunting me. <laughs> <laughs> just need to force it to be the next part of your book club. Yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah. Just do that. Then you then you'll uh, be forced to do it. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Colorado Kid, something that uh, I read at the time and felt was very slight and fine and moved on and I didn't retain any of it. So like if we revisited for the show, which I'm sure we will at some point, um, you know, I'll have to reread it because I don't really remember anything from it, to be honest. But I would, uh, I would like to invite Chelsea to come back and do Colorado Kid. Ooh. I have had such an enchanting time. <laughs> Talking about Joyland with you, uh, and I would really, I would like an excuse to redo Colorado Kid. So um, we can get to that Sign in the next, <laughs> you know, yeah, by the end of the year. Yeah, that'll, right. that'll be fun for me. Uh, before we wrap up, I'd like to talk about whether or not we're going to see Joyland adapted um, because it was, yeah, mm. for a minute, it was going to be a mini series on Freeform. I guess this was from 2018. Now, I don't think, I don't even know if Freeform still exists anymore. But no, I uh, went to Quibi, dude. Well, yeah, we know what moved happened Moved over there. from Freeform to Quibi. I don't know what's going on with them, but I'm sure it's great. Not going to be amazing, but um, it was going to be adapted by the writer of Jane the Virgin and... Uh, yeah, and then like kind of went up. At the, I I don't. This isn't a TV series. This is like such a movie. This is a movie. The, there's you could take take you know a lot of the King stories and go. It works so much better as a miniseries. I don't want a miniseries out of this. I think this is a very focused, 110 minute movie, and you get everything out of it. Um, and uh, I, I can very well see this uh, because as we pointed out, it's very Hitchcockian. You bring in somebody with a good eye. I think that the the look of this could be very uh, like I, 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 I'm using the same word again. It could be Hitchcockian. It could be very like long shadows. You mm-hmm. can, you can mm-hmm. really you know use that abandoned amusement park or not abandoned but like old amusement park feel. Like that's such a great setting. The, to me, this is a movie. This piece. isn't a mini series. What, what do you guys think? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I because the first thing I did when I read this was I reached out to my reps and I said, I, "I'm sh- a lot of things of King are taken." I said, "But can you please find out what's going on? Like, what's happening with this?" And that's, yeah. they said freeform TV series, but they had not, nothing to report. There was nothing, and I was like, "This is a movie." You know, that's mm-hmm. that's what. It's, also, I love that it's period. It's nineteen. It's the seventies. It's you know. Um, yeah. I said, what? I was, I was like a TV series. Are you sure? And they're like, yeah, it's with free form. And cause I was like, 
how do I weasel my way in there to direct an episode <laughs> or something of it? Yeah. But then it didn't seem like anything was going on. I would love to see the movie of this. And I, I who knows if that's even, if the show is even going to come together. Um, it's not. It's, no. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure the rights are, it's probably either owned by somebody else now right. or reverted just back to King at this point. He doesn't let people hold on to the, the rights to his stuff for a long time if they don't make it. So Speaking of J.J. Abrams, it feels fucking crazy that Bad Robot hasn't done this. It's It's got all the, yeah. there's so much like Amblin potential, mm. like an uh-huh. Amblin feel to this thing. And fucking J.J. loves that shit. Like, yeah. um, I'm. If if he weren't monkeying around with it in some way, I would be very very surprised. <laughs> like whether whether or not he owns the rights to it, he might just have a pitch ready. But it feels like it feels like a thing that could be an HBO Max original for sure. Right? Yes. Like yeah, yeah, yeah yes. streaming movie. Yeah, yeah, you could absolutely yeah. do that. My, I, I I'll also I'll also say like I could do with like a four episode limited series. An ongoing series or something that's like limited 10, yeah. 12 episodes long. Absolutely yeah. not. But yeah. like, you know, if you wanted to do like the fully faithful adaptation, fine. Do a very limited series. Otherwise, I agree with you. <laughs> Even that then you're stretching it out, man. Uh, it's like otherwise, this is... I agree with you that it would yeah. absolutely be like uh, <laughs> better and probably more satisfying as a as a movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you're making it as satisfying as a book. The book, beginning, middle, end. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. My question is, though, do you think that whoever's going to adapt this is going to be true to keeping the supernatural stuff in the background? Or do you think that the temptation to make Devin see the ghost and us see the ghost and, and all that stuff is going to be too forward? Because the way to, to do it and to adapt it uh, authentically is that the audience never sees the ghost. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they could have the restraint to, uh, to make this? And never... it, That's just what I was going to say. It also depends yeah. on like the power that person wields. Like, you yes. know, it, that's, I think it all depends on the, uh, Yeah. Cause once you, if you get someone who the studio is going to push around and be like, yeah, you're going to make this a supernatural movie instead of a coming age movie. Like you need someone who's going to, who's able to really preserve what it is. If Christopher Nolan walks into a board meeting at <laughs> Warner brothers and slaps his dick on the table and says, I'm doing Joyland, <laughs> motherfuckers. And we're never seeing the ghost. They're going to say, yes, sir. Thank you. Sir. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a lot of other people, not so much. They're going to be much. like, no, we're going to need a hint of that ghost. <laughs> like I suppose right there's the a bat. way to, yeah. I suppose there's a way to have your cake and eat it too, where you can have somebody telling the ghost story and us seeing, yes, yeah. like, like a kind of a dr- dramatic, you know, mind's eye version of what that is. Something I think you can, can put get away with doing it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, yeah you, you could tease people, trick people in the trailer to think it's a scary Conjuring style ghost <laughs> movie that they never fucking <laughs> get in the movie and be yeah. super pissed off by the end of it. Yeah. Well, they did it with Outsider. They pitched Outsider as yes. like. This is a, a, a case of mistaken identity mystery with some dead bodies in it. And then, you know, there's like a, there's El, El, what was his name? El Kukui? Kuko. Oh, yeah. Kuko. El Kuko? Yeah. yeah. Uh, people didn't see that coming. You know? Yeah. You can absolutely, yeah. there's room to pull the rug Most out true. from under some motherfuckers. I do think it'll get done, though. 
It, it yeah. will absolutely. Everything's going to get done. <laughs> the show will never stop because things will not stop getting done. Yep. Yes. Dude, yes. Always, always new Stephen King stuff. And it's the rare one where it's a really great thing that's cinematic that hasn't uh, uh, been shot and been been made. So this is uh, this is like kind of prime real estate here for somebody mm-hmm. going forward. Yeah. Freeform's just got to let the... Got to let go of those rights, buddy. Let it lapse. I don't know what they're up to. I don't even know what Freeform is, honestly. <laughs> so, you know, good good luck to them, but uh, it will get made eventually, I think. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's about all we got on Joyland. But before we wrap up, uh, Chelsea, what are you doing next? I, I hear you're very busy this year. Um. Yeah, after a couple of years going by of, of uh, hiding out because of COVID. Yeah, I think... Um, so, so next up is I can't give too much information away about it, um, but I'm uh, soft prepping, um, hoping to shoot at the top of the summer a uh, teen a teen thriller that I'm very excited about. Um, I kind of soft pitch it when I talk about it as uh, um, I know what you did last summer meets urban legend. So anyone who knows me knows uh, that that is a, a wheelhouse I love and. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very uh, excited about it. So that's that's coming up. And then I have um, another film that I'm trying to put together for the be- between that the first one I mentioned and then getting married and then getting ready for the next movie. That's um, and that one is my homage to the bad seed. So that's Ooh, right what, on. Yeah. So those those two are what's really uh, percolating right now that will be happening sooner rather than later, while also looking into the rights to many a Stephen King things. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing what's what is, up with Joyland. What is Midnight City? Oh, yeah. That, so that is a, um, uh, a project I'm um, attached to from many moons ago that we've, it's, again, something, you know, when you're directing, you're attached to many of things because you just you have to have multiple eggs and multiple baskets because you're not sure what's going to happen. Um, yes. But that's it's written by uh, Midnight City is written by Brittany Klesik, who is actually an executive. She was an executive at Monkey Paw and oversaw a lot of the new Candyman. Um, and she's Ooh. also a writer. And honestly, it's a it's a slasher film that takes place at a drive in. That's like it's my I love the movie Dead End Drive In. And I was like, how do I make my own Dead End Drive In? And that's what that is. But again, it's another one that you're pushing up the mountain to see what see if someone is interested in making it. So, but yeah, Very multiple well. things. I just saw it on your IMDb on. credits yeah. and was curious because there was no information about it on there beyond a title. So, yeah. So we'll see what happens, but the, the, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about the, the next one on the, on the list and a bunch of things percolating and we'll see what sticks, but I'm really excited about this year and, and to get back in the directing chair. I'm ready. Well, we are excited for, anything you do next and uh this was a delight and also let's uh let's loop back around somewhere in the future and we'll talk about uh colorado kid i would love that thank you so much for having me i love this podcast i love you both i'm so excited um to be a part of the king cast alums so um thank you and thank you for letting me talk on and on and on about this book i love so much that is joyland Many thanks to Chelsea Stardust. I really, really am so psyched that somebody finally chose Joyland. It, it was such a, a pleasure to dive back into that one. Glad we finally got a chance to talk about that one on the show. People have been asking for that one for a long time as well. Love Chelsea. She's great. 
yes, I really enjoyed having her on the show, and I'm sure that uh, we'll find a place to bring her back at some point. Of course. You know, Absolutely. No, how how it goes. When we like people, we like to bring them back in, you know, into the conversation. The family. They're part yeah. of the family. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you got to work your way up to that Mount Rushmore King Cast guest. <laughs> one parents at a time dude you got yeah, the four like, timers club the five timers club it's like Go beating ahead. those uh uh elden ring bosses right so <laughs> yeah yeah so i think she's gonna take on brian fuller you're gonna have to fucking <laughs> lay down some serious <laughs> shit yeah for sure uh all right so next week uh which one do you want to talk about first you want to talk about the patreon or do you want to talk about the the thing the next week episode Patreon this week is a like two hour before edit, I think, um, <laughs> mailbag episode where Bespy and I sat down and answered oh, it was about seven or eight pages worth of reader questions, I believe. Uh, yeah. You it- guys really brought the thunder when we put a call out for questions this time. And um, we uh, we had to cut it off eventually as not, <laughs> as not to drive ourselves mad. But we got through a lot of them and yeah. touched on a lot of topics. Yeah, what did we talk about? We talked about Dark Tower. We talked about some of the behind the scenes on the the King interview. We talked about potential future guests that we've gone out to. We've gotten lots of, we react to multiple guest suggestions Mm -hmm. and kind of give a little hints on on how likely it might be that we'll we'll get some of the people suggested. Uh, We talk about potential other podcasts that we might be doing in the the nearest future. And there's lots of stuff in the mailbag this this, uh, this time. Jam packed with information. So much stuff. You're going to love it or else. (laughs) And what are we doing next Wednesday, Eric? Yeah. So the the main feed next week, uh, we are going back into the land of desperation. We are going to be talking about our boy Tack. We we will be talking about the little religious boy that uh, <laughs> that, yes. that saves the day. There's a uh, yeah. I'm sure we're going to be talking about some some of the the Richard Bachmanness of the the regulators as well as it's all bundled in there. So desperation is the topic. Our guest is a successful writer and showrunner um, mm-hmm. that uh, has has a show that uh, he has been a part of that is hitting very soon that everybody's very interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's working on a bunch of stuff and he's worked on a few Stephen King projects. So it's a great fit. Yeah, he's a buddy of mine and there's a reason why he picked desperation. I'll, I'll say that much. Yes. Very well handled. That For could be sure. anybody. No one's could be. figure that shit out. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm excited. I'm looking forward to, to that. Desperation is always a fun, fun, uh, one to talk about and indeed, yeah. So is there any other housekeeping we want to do? I don't think that there's really much else to talk about. Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. I got nothing. Yeah. So, you know, as usual, rate and review us on iTunes. Give us them five star reviews. Five stars we, only, folks. Five stars. We only. want some. We want some really bad. Give us them five star reviews. Make sure to check out our merch at cotet19.net. We still have uh, some fun shirts up there, and uh, we will more than likely have some new merch uh, hitting in the next month or so. Make sure you're you're subscribed to our Patreon. There's lots of good shit over there. We have the mailbag this Friday. Next week will be a commentary. Big commentary. Um, big commentary. Really fun uh, guest. Favorite of the King cast. Listeners is uh, joining us for a big title, which will be really fun. Uh, and you want to make sure you're signed up for that stuff and make sure you get in on that $10 tier to, to get everything. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash the King cast. It's well worth it, I say. I agree. 
All right. So we'll see everybody next Wednesday for Desperation and this coming Friday on the Patreon to answer seven pages worth of listener questions. Adios, folks. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. <laughs>